1: I guess today on the A Game podcast is Alex Camacho. He is a freaking powerhouse. I absolutely love this episode. His energy is insane. I've been a fan of his for a while. I met him at the BP con. Uh, James Daner introduced us, and I've been watching his social media game. I've been listening to his podcast um, interviews that he's been on Wealthy Made with Ryan Pineda. He got a huge shout out from David Green for being one of their favorite podcasts on Bigger Pockets. He's been on Real Estate Disruptors. He's uh, an investor in Arizona, in Hawaii, in Los Angeles. He made a bunch of money before the boom and then lost a bunch of money when the first market crashed, got back up, and now was doing better than ever. And just a strong, mentally strong, uh, scrappy guy just finding out different ways to get it done. All the stuff we talk about, about successful people, self-accountability, self-awareness, tenacity, persistence, optimism, surrounding yourself with the right people, putting systems and processes in place, not taking no for an answer. He embodies all that, and it's not a surprise at all. That he's as successful as he is right now and that people in the circles that he's in bring him in and value him because they see it in him just like they probably saw it in themselves at some point. So can't say enough good things about this guy, but I don't need to because you're about to get an hour with him that he gave so much information in such a short amount of time. Like it was incredible, man. He just he didn't waste a word. He bought so much value in this that I, I can't thank him enough for coming on. Again, I've been a, a fan of his for a long time. I know he doesn't have a lot of free time. So I very much value and appreciate that he came on and he shared a story with us. And uh, I think you guys are going to be blown away. So I will put all the information for his social media on there because you are missing out if you're not following him on Instagram, following him on YouTube. And he's got his podcast coming out soon, as well as some meetups. If you guys are in the Los Angeles area, I expect that I this episode to get that out there. So definitely go check him out uh, virtually live, anything you want to do. But Alex Camacho is an absolute rock star. And I was honored to have him on. And uh, definitely somebody I'm going to keep in touch with from now on. Uh calling him a friend and uh, definitely looking forward to meeting up with him again in person. BP Con, that's another amazing thing, just about that event, the amount of people that I've come across. And then you jump on a podcast like this and like, you know, sometimes you can just feel somebody's energy through the computer and, and he crushed it, man. He bought it. So definitely uh, somebody you want to follow, somebody you definitely want to connect with and somebody that you want to model your life and your business after as well, because he's a quality of life guy like myself. So making money doing what he needs to do, but also being able to go bounce around between his penthouse in Mexico, his house in Maui and pop around and go to all these different meetups and just meet all these different people and pop up on these podcasts. He definitely lives the life that most of us dream about and uh, he's earned every single day and every single dollar. So thank you so much. Could not be more impressed with Alex and every single way, shape and form, as you can tell. So definitely check him out. For you guys, definitely check me out at nicknicknick.com slash links, L-I-N-K-S. When you go on there, you can find all the ways to subscribe to this podcast. It's available pretty much on every platform you can think of, including YouTube. So if you want to watch or listen, it's available everywhere. Go to nicknicknick.com slash links. And please... Listen to the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, give us five stars. It really, really goes a long way. While you're there, you'll see all the ways to connect with myself on social media, including our Instagram, our YouTube, our TikTok, our Facebook, all that different stuff. That is the fee for this show. And I have guys like Alex coming on, Brad and Turner, David Green, Steve Trang, all these different guys. All we ask is that you guys interact. So as the clips get posted, I'm gonna post some great clips of Alex from this episode. It's gonna take me a while to go through it and figure out what the top clips are because everything he said pretty much was a highlight, but I'll pop those. And when it comes out there, just like it, subscribe to it. Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> like it. Please just like it, put a little thumbs up and A-okay, something like that on there to know people are watching. Tag a friend, takes two seconds to share the post. You guys are scrolling on social media anyway please just hit the like button, hit the share button, tag a friend and spread the word for the A-Game podcast. And for the amazing guests like Alex that are coming on, it really goes a long way. and helps us continue to be able to bring you better guests, better content. And like, these are eight players right here that you can't just get. So very, very, I don't take it lightly and I appreciate you guys for listening. I appreciate them for coming on. As well as if you are looking for a free checklist to bring more value to your buyers, whether you're a real estate wholesaler, broker, or agent, go to nicknicknick.com slash bigger pockets. The final thing here is I want to do more real estate in 2023 with all of you. So please text me directly, 516 540 5733. 516 540 5733. Text the word real estate. What that will do is open up a conversation that we can discuss. Do you want to buy investment properties from me? Do you want to sell investment properties to me? Or do you have no idea even what you want to know, what you want to do or talk about? You just want to have a conversation and see what it would even look like, how we can work together, maybe partner together. All those are options. 516-540-5733. Let's find a way to do some deals together. I look forward to it. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for listening. Alice Camacho, you were an absolute stud. I really enjoyed our conversation. I know you guys will as well. Don't forget to leave a review if you've experienced this. Don't forget to leave a review if you've liked this episode as well. Follow Alex. Go see his meetup. Follow his Instagram. Subscribe to the A-Game Podcast. Have a fantastic day, everybody. Thank you so much. Have your day. All right. My guest today on the A-Game Podcast is an entrepreneur who went from realtor and mortgage broker to full-time real estate investor, coach, and mentor. Originally from California, he is now fighting out of Hawaii part-time, splitting his time in Mexico and California, living the dream, living in paradise, but still running and thriving a real estate flipping business and cash flow business remotely in California and Arizona through his proven systems and processes. He's completed over 125 deals and counting. He's been featured on such great podcasts as Bigger Pockets, Wealthy Way with Ryan Pineda and Real Estate Disruptors with our show friend, Steve Trang. He's done everything from flipping, wholesaling, buy and hold, commercials, sub two, Airbnb, Airbnb arbitrage, and so many other things. And I had the honor of being introduced to him through James Daynard at BPCon. And he is an inspirational man, well respected by some of the biggest names in the industry. He's a twin. And today I'm very excited to have him on the podcast. Welcome and thank you for being here, Mr. Alex Camacho. Thank you, Nick. Man, I got to admit, that's what I think that's the best intro I've ever
0: received. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> thank you, man. Yeah, no, I an honor to be here. I know you've interviewed some of these great investors, and I, I hope I could share some of my lessons and anything of my story that can
1: help people out. Now I appreciate, it, man. It's really cool. It's almost uh, I, I made the joke sometimes where like you see like a celebrity on a plane or like like wait a minute, how do I know that guy? And when James turned around and I was like, wait a minute, I know him. I was like, I, don't, I was like, oh, I was like, I was like in the. Almost like shock for a second, because it's funny, like you walk around BP Con and you forget there's like all these all stars there, man. So it was really cool collecting there. And I'm very excited to have you on, man. I've been watching your stuff. We'll obviously plug all your social media, but your story, all the content you're putting out, your journey, man. It's just it's absolutely amazing to me. I love every part of it. For people who might be living under a rock and not 100% know your story, can you give like a 30,000 foot view of your background?
0: Yeah, of course, man. And there's plenty, plenty of people that I I don't even know who I am. And even like Brandon Turner, I ask people like, you don't know who Brandon Turner is or you don't (laughs) know who these Brian Pinedas is, but there's still, you know, there's still a ton of people out there that are not aware of of certain, you know, investors in our industry, right? Um, So who am I? So I grew up in Southern California, uh, humble beginnings. Um, I right out of high school, I got into banking. So I I feel like I got fortune there because nobody in my family really had a financial background. And so um, that gave me a good base there. But I recognized pretty quickly that, hey, there's a limit to how much money I could make in banking, even though I was in a trajectory to, you know, be a branch manager and maybe even a regional manager in the future. uh, I recognized quickly that, hey, man, I'm kind of limited here. So I got the opportunity to go into the mortgage business. Um, during before the two thousand eight cr- crash, a couple years before, like three years before that, and so I left from banking, took that calculated risk, went into mortgage, um, and made great money during that stretch of time. But I was young; uh, I didn't have a lot of mentors. Uh, and then the market crashed and completely turned on us. And I had a mortgage company with my twin brother, and it just ended up going south, man. I, I lost everything I had. Uh, you know, I had couple hundred thousand dollars in the bank lost it all i had a couple of properties lost them because they were highly leveraged and it was really painful because um i, I was here riding sky high in a matter of years i was back on my mama's couch um and you know i tell that's part of the story because um you know i've always been ambitious but i never expected that i was gonna lose it all i did think that hey i can get this back but i never thought it was gonna take you know the amount of time it took to kind of get back onto the place where i feel like i was supposed to be and so kind of climbed my way back up i became a real estate agent and during that time of being an agent is really when i noticed that um because it was a recession and there was a lot of short sales and there was a lot of foreclosures and including you know the, the properties that i had lost so i'd been through being a borrower and going through foreclosure and losing my property so i actually resonated more with the ugly side of the business during that time uh, when i became an agent and i was helping a bunch of people with short sales but i recognized that the house flippers in la were making a killing i mean these guys were making like 100 grand a deal um, and you know, that's back when, you know, things were really rough and I was like, man, I, I think I should be on that side of the equation. I'm working really hard, making 10 grand. They're making a hundred. Uh, how do I do what they're doing? But, um, there was no bigger pockets or other podcasts mm-hmm. at the time. Um, I, so I went into, did uh, some property management. I went and did some Airbnb arbitrage. I, I went and did some back into like the mortgage business, but then the Air- Airbnb arbitrage model helped me to have a little bit of you know, passive income. So, sort of, cause we had a system. And then that allowed me to dedicate full time into real estate investing. So what I did uh, back in 2017, the start of my real estate investor journey is I went to go work for a real estate investor, a very successful one here in Southern California. He was fixing and flipping like 20, 30 houses a year. He was cherry picking the best, keeping those. And then um, he was just a savage negotiator and, and he knew what he was doing. And so I worked with him for a good year, got my first like dozen or 14 deals with him, but I wasn't getting paid very much, but I was learning a lot. And then I got recruited by a bigger investment company that, um, I mean, they were huge. They were, they were flipping like 200 houses a year in Southern California. They were set up kind of like a mini hedge fund, learned a lot of processes, things there, saved some more money. I was making better money with that company. And then about three and a half years ago, I had saved enough money in that two and a half years working for those companies that I went off and started my own real estate investment company, primarily focused on flipping. Uh, but people get this mistaken. I flip houses to make a lot of money to keep a lot of real estate. Um, so other people tend to do, uh, like this passive income model, of buying a couple of rentals and keeping, keep on doing that. I've always been motivated for this business for making these big checks. And I know that's maybe a little different than some other people, but, um, I've been motivated by making millions of dollars not by just, okay, let me get another $500 in passive income. That's great. And I do have that but I am more motivated by the big paychecks and all that. I just like to say that. Um, And also because a lot of people along my journey were like, oh, why don't you have more rentals, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, hey, you don't know where I'm working on. I'm mastering this because that's gonna help me keep a lot more property. Cause I saw it from the first guy that I worked for. So fast forward to today, um, I guess um, after I, the first year or so of working on my own, had my own company, went through a lot of learning pains, you know, training and hiring the wrong type of people. Um, And then I, went to a coaching program a couple of years ago, um, with Ryan Pineda. And then that helped me kind of really just grow my leadership skills and some structure for my business. And then over the last two years, uh, you know, I've actually been able to grow my company. We're, we're doing, you know, that volume of 20 plus homes a year, although we've purchased less, you know, recently because of the changes with interest rates and all the stuff that we're seeing, um, happen, but, um, I've been able to grow my remote team and two years ago, I also got the opportunity to move to Hawaii during the pandemic and mentor under Brandon Turner and live the island life. And I mean, what do you think I said, Nick? (laughs) You know, right, you know the story. So I went there and then um, opened up that market after I began to do the remote flipping in LA, uh, done some deals there. Um, and then about a year ago, I also started living part-time in Guadalajara, Mexico, where my family is from. Um, I don't know if you've ever been down there to Mexico, but man, you get a lot for your dollar. It moves yeah. you know, really far. So I, I'm obsessed with like getting the best return on my investment, and that includes lifestyle for me. And so that's why I've been bouncing around and you know, pretty much living in Mexico. And I got a penthouse apartment that cost me next to nothing there, and then I got the house in Maui. But recently, because things have changed and it's just better for me to be in Southern California now because my company's more based here, I've transitioned to spending a lot more time in L.A. And then um, through all that, we've also begun to grow a a real estate community here in Southern California called the Dealmakers. My Instagram handle used to be Real Estate Dealmaker. And so I would jump into videos and say, hey, what's up, my dealmakers? Because who doesn't want to be a dealmaker, man? That's what (laughs) you (laughs) you know, as investors. And so that kind of just stuck. And I kind of coined the term a little bit. I mean, I I I didn't coin the term. I just the one that's been more relevant to real estate investing. And then we've built a community around it where we're having three, four hundred people come out to our free meetups in Southern California. We're providing an environment where people can really get educated, elevate their game in real estate investing, and it's more collaborative because you know, as you know, this can be a very sharky business, and where people want to keep industry secrets close to the vest. But people like you and I that are you know abundant mindset we're out there sharing the information because we know the right people are gonna take action with it.
1: Man, so many awesome things to unpack there. Definitely shout out to Ryan Paneda. shout out to Brandon Turner, he's a friend of the show over there. Um, but you said so many interesting things there that we, could, we can go in a million different directions, but definitely congratulations to you on your success, but also for making a choice, which is a, a big thing that I, I think is the root of everything here, because I tell everybody your life, where you are today, if your life is a recipe, it's made up of all the choices you've made to this point. And you can't expect to get a different result without changing the recipe, which some me are the decisions. Mm-hmm. And I have seen so many contractors, realtors, like people in the industry that are part of my team that make me money that will never switch to the other side. They're always like just on the W2 side, on that side. But you made that switch, which everybody talks about doing, but nobody does, and not to kind of go down. But even your, your past life, prior to get into that, I've heard you talk about how you weren't necessarily in the same place or mindset you are now, and you just made a decision to change that completely. And that's a lot harder than it sounds. It's a really, really major deal. So I'd love to hear your thoughts behind like just how you got to that point. like. What caused you to really make that decision? Because people talk about it, but they don't ever do it. And I feel like that's what separates the successful from the non-successful in life.
0: Yeah, Nick, I completely agree with you. I also see people in my network, whether they're friends that have seen me kind of elevate my life and business through this, you know, journey uh, that I expected to want to be involved or want to also do it. But they've just sat in, you know, on the sidelines and, you know, contractors that work with us and, uh, you know, people that just want to be employees and things like that. It's just not everybody, I guess, wants or is willing to, you know, do what it takes to be a successful investor because it does take a lot. So I'd say I decided because I just saw the upside to investing being much greater than all the other stuff. Like, I know how to make money. If you hustle, you can make money. But if you really want to build some, like, long-term wealth and have more freedom in your life, you need to own assets, you need to own equity, and you need to own parts of successful businesses. And for me, um, what comes to mind right now is that book, Cash Flow Quadrant, by um, Robert Kiyosaki, where he discusses the four quadrants where you're, like, an employee, you're self-employed, or you're on the other side where, you know, you're an investor, a business owner, right? And so I, I saw that, hey, if I own a real estate investment company, well, then... I will have both of those. I will own a business that's profitable and I will be able to invest in opportunities that come up through owning that company. And so that really resonated with just not necessarily just being an investor, which is great, there's people out there that have amazing nine to fives. They like what they're doing, but I would say that's the exception, not the rule. Um, and I don't know if you agree on that, but most people don't like what they do for a living. And even if they do make good money, they still don't love what they do. But this is the type of business I found that it could be win-win. And I was in other businesses like the mortgage business and banking, and all this. And I didn't see the same aspects of me making a true impact on like neighborhoods and I'm giving people jobs and on me, you know, living the life of my dreams because I'm able to make the amount of money that I want. Because, hey, let's be real on, you know, the East Coast or where you're at on you know, certain metropolitan areas, like, and other places as well. But just say like LA, if you're not making, you know, six figures or more or some good living, it's not a place maybe you want to be. So I always recognize that too. Like if I'm making 50 grand a year in LA, like I'm not going to be living a good life. Like it's going to be crappy. So um I say like I just think mindset is so important of like making that decision say I am going to own real estate. I'm going to be a full-time investor or I'm going to be a part-time investor but I'm going to do it and then getting involved because people they know they should do it but it's like eating a healthy diet. Like you know you <laughs> should. Do it. You know you should probably invest in real estate in some form or fashion, but they just don't do it. They never make that decision. I think that's a, a fantastic point.
1: I love that, man. And you know something something that's to touch base on that is like you said the mindset is so important. New investors, they always roll their eyes. They never want to hear it. Experienced guys, when we go to masterminds and we talk to high-level guys, it always comes down to that mindset. And I think a, a huge part of that, like anything, is the resiliency. You know, it's it's nice to see all the happy stuff on Instagram, but it is tough and there are bad days. And it's it's how do you navigate those tough days? How do you navigate those obstacles? How do you talk yourself up? And one thing I think that you went through is like everybody's worried about what if I make this money, but what if I lose it? And you have a story that you wind up losing everything, but then you got back in the game and you made it back. And I think that that says a lot about you as a person. I think you said you're from Mexico. You know, I come from a fighting background. Like Mexican fighters are always known as just like the toughest, most resilient. Guy. You can't keep them down. You got to like kill them to stop them. So <laughs> it doesn't surprise me that you got up and you kept fighting. But what was it? Because it, it takes a lot of a lot of guts and a lot of courage to get back in after you've taken a beating like that. But that's really where the successful stories come from. That's where that mindset is so strong. So talk a little bit through like your, your self-talk about how you talked yourself up to get back in the game and, and get back on your feet and take another swing.
0: Yeah, I think um, there, there's something definitely said that, you know, I, I was born in California, but my parents are both from Mexico. So I just saw that they, they went through so much. Um, you know, getting us here to the United States, a land of opportunity that I really felt that, like, I, I kind of owed it to them to, like, maximize my potential. And that's definitely something, like, you know, that's been, you know, kind of just ingrained in me that, hey, like, I, Because I, I also spend some time in Mexico, so I see what the life is like there. I see what the opportunity is, and it's not as great as it is here. No disrespect. I love, you know, my parents' country. I I feel in between because I'm Mexican-American. I, I don't, say, you know, subscribe to this, oh, I'm Mexican, or oh, I'm only American. It's kind of, I'm, you know, my parents are immigrants. And and so um, I think it, when I was knocked down and I lost everything, all it's not like I just, of course, I was depressed. Of course, you know, I was down. Uh, having just, you know, having nothing and then having everything and then having nothing again, I think does something to you where I began to look at myself inwardly and saying, Hey, I am responsible partly for this mistake and this mess that I put myself in. There, I think a lot of people don't end up doing that. They, they don't look in the mirror and say, Hey, you fucked up. You know, like you you did not, you know, do this, you didn't do this. And I was in hindsight, I, you know, 20 is 2020, right? I was able to look back and say, Hey, I didn't pivot enough. I didn't have enough good mentors around me. I was in a toxic relationship. These are not things that are going to contribute to success. And so what do I need to do? Well, I need to maybe start reading some books. Maybe I need to start exercising more. I was really overweight. I think the the fattest I've ever been was during that time. And I've never really been a fat guy. But dude, like I was overweight. Um, I was just not, you know, I didn't care about nutrition. And so I had all these bad influences. But then as, as I started slowly, a lot of times to add, you have to subtract. And so I started like working on my habits. I started reading more books, and I just didn't give up on myself because I think that's easy for people to just say, ah, "All right, you know, whatever." It's easy to be a loser, as I've recently, you know, heard, and I know one of these motivational um, guys say that and it really is because you just don't have to do anything really, just just live, right? Um, but to grow and to make an impact and to you know be a better person, you have to, you know, that has to be conscious decision. And so I've like during my journey, I've noticed like, oh, I'm always trying to reinvent myself or I'm trying to evolve or I'm trying to get a little bit better every day because look I am not I was not born with you know huge physical talents I'm not the tallest dude I'm not the best looking dude I'm not the smartest dude but I know I have some things in my control which is like what I do on a day-to-day basis who I put myself around and so I think these are these are the things that I focus on now like making sure that I have rock solid people around me teammates friends you know like you said the masterminds like this investor life is a mindset because above all else, you're investing into relationships. You're investing into yourself. You're investing into deals. You're investing into business, and these things are constant. So it's not like you just invest in one deal one time. Well, that deal is gonna, it's gonna, you gotta have to continue to manage that asset, just like you gotta continue to manage your mindset. And and so I I think that's uh, I'm big on that. Just making sure that I'm putting myself in an environment that is, it conduces to me being successful because otherwise I'll just go back to bad habits. I used to smoke way too much weed. I used to drink too much. I used to, you know, womanize way too much. So I really try to, try to get those things into, you know, like really just under control and then focus on the things that really are gonna make me the best version of myself and also help the people that have chosen to follow me and work with me.
1: That's awesome, man. I I don't think it's an accident that you have good self-awareness, good self-discipline. And then good self accountability because those two, three things—if you know everybody knows, like you said, like to eat a better diet, but they don't have the discipline to do that. And they, but well, it's because of this, it's because of that circumstance. So it's not a surprise when I hear guys like you say that stuff that you are where you are today because that—that's that, what it takes, man. It's it comes down to those three basics.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: And this year has been more, you know, this last six months because of the rapid
0: market change. I've also had to do some similar of just like looking inward, like what's working, what's not um you know what what is not sustainable what what are things i i gotta make some i had to fire somebody last week um i'm probably gonna have to fire another person next next week it's not because you know i want to or it's, it's just because they're not hitting their numbers and not stepping up rising to the occasion um i'm also going to reduce some other expenses that i don't really need but i'm also going back a lot more into the acquisitions role that i've kind of been removed out of my company because that is one of my best skills like i'm a master deal maker and so like i have to show my team this is how we make deals happen because we haven't been doing enough deals over the last six months and reducing expenses is only one part of the equation we have to make more money now too so like i'm having to be more involved in certain parts of my company that wasn't before but you have to do you know as a ceo or as an owner of a company like your number one responsibility is make sure that you're successful that your company is successful and you know sometimes that's going to take sacrifices and you're going to sacrifice in one way or another in your as an investor no matter what it's just where those sacrifices are
1: if you have been kicking yourself that you didn't start investing in real estate soon whether you're beginner intermediate or advanced any way you're looking to get it on a residential commercial land development wholesale and fix and flips whatever it is let's find a way to get you involved in some projects get you some properties whether you want to sell some properties to me whether you want to buy some properties from me, whether residential, fix and flip, cash flow, multifamily, whatever it is you're looking for. Let's figure out a way to get you involved or find a way for us to partner up on some deals. Or you can just reach out to me on any of my social media channels. If you go on wwwnicknickcom slash links, you'll see all the different ways to connect with me and figure out how we can start to work together, make it happen. Everybody that invests in real estate always just says they wish they did it sooner. Best time to start is today. Well said, man, and you brought up an interesting point. So with the changing market and pivoting market, you coming from a mortgage back and literally watching the whole market literally crash and burn, what did you learn during that time that you can take into today's market to pivot that you can put some little safety precautions to keep you safe as little indicators of what to do or what not to do? Yeah,
0: so uh, one big thing was just KPIs and key performance indicators So you're, you're, you're looking at your dashboard, your metrics, or what that looks like on, on, you know, and for us, it's just like this, how much rental revenue are we getting? Because we have 28 doors now and we are not maximizing our rents. Part of the reason we're doing that is because one of them, of those 28 doors, 18 of those doors are 18 unit building that we bought in Phoenix. It's a value add deal. But instead of like trying to rehab these 10 units at once, I'm like, well, why don't we get these four or five that are almost on the finish line and and ready to be rented and get those done and stop trying to like, you know, get everything done at once. So, you know, we've really examined um, our rental portfolio and saying, Hey, where can we, Reduce expenses, where can we make sure we're getting the maximum amount of rent possible? You know, I own a property, um, you know, three properties in Hawaii and and it's a different market as far as rental income because Airbnb is not allowed. So we have to find other ways, creative ways to make sure that we're, we're generating income from those because they are kind of higher purchase prices, although they have a lot of equity and there's a, it's a different market. There's a lot more upside potential when it comes to appreciation uh you know that we don't bank on appreciation or well, it's, it's helpful, but it's not something we bank on. So I'm just really just going really granular on my whole portfolio on a month to month basis and seeing like where we can you know, maximize more of the rents. And then I'm also only buying property that's a pretty much a home run deal right now because it just there's additional risk. So we need a, a greater discount. Does it mean we don't buy? Like I'm used to buying two, three houses a month. I've only bought two houses in the last six months. That's simply because we're not able to get the, the discount that we need. So we need to buy closer to 60% of the conservative conservative ARV. Right now, well, before we were buying up to like 70, 75 percent of an ARV, you know, after repair value, and so like we're we're really kind of being very specific with our buy box. Another thing is we Southern California is a fairly large uh, territory, and we invest in multiple parts of it. And one of the parts that we decided to invest last year was this a remote part called Joshua Tree. You might have heard of it. Sure. And um, that area is dominated by short-term rentals. Um, it doesn't really have an economy outside of that. It's very remote. Uh, we kind of got caught up in that whole like, you know, shiny object syndrome where we ended up buying some properties there that adjacent to Joshua Tree, not in Joshua Tree proper. And those properties have, you know, tanked in value 20%. Um, and it's also been much harder for us to rehab them because they're remote. So I was influenced by my team to get these deals when really I, that wasn't really in our buy box. So obviously we're going to take a little bit of loss on some of those properties. We're going to reset uh, and we're going to get those off the books. Uh, they're in escrow right now and, and stuff. So we're going to lose, you know, not the end of the world. We're going to lose, I think, 15000 on one and maybe 10 on the other. We made a whole lot of money on the other properties we did there uh, in Josh Retreat, but the ones that we bought adjacent didn't work out. So we're going to get those sold, get our private lenders paid off. It'd be all good. We'll learn our lessons and we'll just stick to our more specific buy box that we've seen that are that entry level cosmetic rehab in Southern California. I know that you, you're familiar with Southern California, but oh, yeah. Lancaster, like the, you know, uh, northern part of LA County, which is like the desert part. Now where all the cool kids are, you know, <laughs> cool, cool kids are in Santa Monica and Hollywood and, and certain parts of, you know, Beverly Hills and all these cool parts. Well, most people don't move to Southern California to live in Palmdale Lan- Lancaster for those that don't know. Um, but, We've noticed that the prices are less expensive there. We're buying houses for less than $250,000, entry-level homes. We're using less cash. The homes were built newer, so there's less of a rehab. And guess what? There's less competition there because most people don't really want to go out that way. If you're in Southern California, you want to be other parts. So all these things combined is just paying attention to what has worked in our business so we can continue to double down on that. And then um, also social media has worked very well because it attracts talented people, attracts money attracts deals and so i double down on it because i've seen that it's an impact on our business it's very positive and it's something that I can continue to do and grow it is really tangible and intangible we're growing a brand but then also we're you know attracting all these amazing opportunities to us as well so we, we double down on that and then the event that we're doing with the, with the meetup doing you know also that we're hosting we're really proud of that so we continue to double down on that and i mean that's what the all the, i mean pretty much the th- things i can think of that we're making you know adjustments because you know it's like any Anything in life and business, you have to make adjustments.
1: I love that, man. And One of the things you said there that I think when people listen to this, if they're on like the the newer side of investing, when you say, oh, we might have a $50,000 loss, it's like, yeah, that sucks. But that's why you don't just do one. You build a business out of this. So when people are like, I just want to do one or two here and there, that feels safer. I'm like, well, it's actually not. Because you don't have any balance for your losses, and when you're doing so many, it's like you know the the guy who led the league in in home runs usually leads the leading strikeouts. So you're able to balance out and weather those storms because you have so many more wins than you have losses. And I think that that's a something that people don't see is like a necessary part of the business. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I definitely like to add to that, Nick, is that when you do more deals, you get more experience and you make more contacts and. Uh, You have a better read on the market, and there's you know other things like that that are factors that can continue to help you in your investing. uh, Given that you decided to like do this in the long term, and most people do. So um, I really feel like I didn't even know what I was doing until I was like on deal number ten or (laughs) fifteen. I don't know about you, but like I know you've done hundreds and hundreds of deals yourself. But I really didn't feel like I knew what I was doing until like a dozen or so deals at least. Um, And so then these learning these things that you learn through these this experience is super valuable. Um, going forward, and I think that we've you know got our bumps and bruises, and you know I'll say that not all our deals went according to plan. We are losing some money, but fortunately, all the other ones are doing much better. I mean, my house in Hawaii went up a million bucks in a, like, <laughs> in a year and a half. um So I have a partner on that, but hey, make, make half a million dollars in equity and keep a magical house in Hawaii. Like, I mean, we're not losing in that much money. I, I'm okay with losing your fifty thousand on a couple of properties if you know if that's like the, you know we're not going to buy there no more and we're gonna focus and it's going to help us make more money in the long term. Um, so yeah. <laughs> It, yes. doesn't, it hurts. It hurts nonetheless. Don't get me wrong.
1: But it's part of the game. It's bad. Yeah, it's part of business, man. Like there, there is that every successful story has those ups and downs. And, you know, a, a couple of other things here is talking about how you live in one place and invest in another. I've always just by force had to invest remotely. It's just part of my whole story and kind of what wound up happening. But it's it's a little bit more acceptable now, but I feel like people have gone back to wanting to invest only in their own market. So when people are sitting here going, well, yeah, the dream is to live in Hawaii and invest in all these other markets, but how do I do that? Especially entrepreneurs, A-type people, they they tend to not want to give up control. So talk a little bit about some of the common fears and misconceptions about investing remotely and some of the things you put in place as a system of checks and balances to make sure that you're not, you know, doing it so you're aware of what's happening on a daily basis.
0: Yeah, of course. And I, I don't recommend that people invest remotely unless they know their market or have someone they highly trust on the ground. And that's really what I had. But I, I actually had a combination of both. But um, I think everybody will agree that COVID sped up this idea of being on Zoom and, and doing stuff more remotely. Although you, there's nothing like spending face-to-face time with people that you do business with. Um, I think all everybody knows that the, the world has evolved and we can't all do that. Right? And so I kind of adopted that because I, I recognized, similar to 2008, like I gotta change. I would rather be with my crew in the trenches, looking at deals and all that, but if I'm living in Hawaii, I can't do that. And then I, I don't get an opportunity to, to be close to a Brandon Turner or somebody like that of that caliber or live in a magic place like Hawaii without you know making some sacrifices. And then you know, on paper, it looked like an easy decision, but I mean, I already had a pretty cool life in LA and, and I never remote flipped ever. I didn't expect to, but with COVID, with me selling my house, I became single around that time so that it was it was like i didn't have like that relationship i had to stay in i, I kind of had the freedom to move around and so i decided to move but one of the first things that i did was i searched out somebody that could replace me in acquisitions although that's my jam and i love acquisitions and finding <laughs> deals uh, i knew that i wasn't going to be able to do the same amount of deals if i was not physically there in la so i found someone now now granted remember i had already done at that point i think probably close to 100 deals total before I even left. So I already knew, and had. I grew up in LA, so I know the area. So I found the right person helping acquisitions with me that I trusted, I knew for some time, and I groomed them before I left. And then I also, you know, um, through this mentorship, realized that I had to focus on building systems and processes that will allow me to duplicate myself by me not physically being there. And that took months and months. And it was like almost taking that step back, to take one step forward, because um, like you said earlier, like, I like to have control. I want to be, you know, in the mix and everything. But um, if I physically can kind of look at the house and you know, what's, what's the point there. Right. So um, Brandon told me that, Hey, you got to focus on making sure your company is successful and, and it's, it's, it's working without you being physically there before you start trying to do some deal-making here in Hawaii. because I was itching I, to yeah. day one, I'm already like, Let, let's do some deals here in Hawaii. This is awesome. Cause it's a very unique market, but uh, no, I just relented. I, I definitely just, you know, followed his advice, three, four months passed, And then my team started getting deals without me. And I still remember the first one because I was like, oh man, all I had to do is send a deposit, confirm the numbers. And kind of everybody in the team did everything else. And that, that point is when I, okay, now I have a company. Now I have something here that I can grow on rather than just me doing deals kind of on my own. Like I, I have to grow my leadership skills because I think that's another thing that most people desire to do, the desire to be a better leader, but um you know being a leader like you have to make mistakes you have to you know it, you know go out there and and grow if it's not natural to you because for me it wasn't I was like I'm not I'm a hustler I'm a deal maker but I am not like a natural like born leader either and I think there's some people out there that are a little bit more prone to that or maybe they get the influence from their folks um I did get a little bit of influence to that but man I was difficult um having that you know to focus on leadership when it was not something that was easy to, that
1: didn't come easy to me that's great stuff, man. Uh, w- with that experience, what would you say are some of like the top couple of mistakes that people make investing remotely? Well, the
0: first thing is just trusting people to uh, to, to what they're saying rather than getting proof. Uh, I think you mentioned uh, one of the things I listened about you was like, um, hey, Oh, yeah, we we did, you know, we, we placed the water heater. You did? Like, how did you replace it? What does it look like? And so I think we've put in these processes in place where every single week we're meeting and I before I cut any checks, I want to see what I'm cutting my check for or what it looks like before the work is being done so then I know how to cross-reference what I paid and all that. So setting up a system to make sure that we're not just blindly cutting checks, that the actual work that's been done for the flips and for the remodels, because we do, you know, keep rentals and all that as well, that is happening. So um, that took a little bit of time, uh, but it was through the pain of uh, overpaying contractors, of uh, you know, kind of being, you know, just told that something was done and it was done at a really poor quality and it affecting the resale of the property or affecting, you know, uh, the price that we get for the property. So it's really through that those misses or those losses that, that I was forced to say, no, I need to have this. I need to have eyes. I need to have you know people uh, because a lot of times it's not malicious. it just it's just natural human psychology if you're not if you're the boss ain't there, mm-hmm. it ain't gonna work the same. So I had to make sure that they knew that I was putting my eyes on stuff and I'm not sticking blind, to blindly cut checks. so that was one big one. and then um just the acquisition side, it was more of like, okay, well, let me do a bunch of training even though I feel like I've done enough training, but it's almost like you can never train your team enough. It needs to be ongoing um, because also the market is changing. Also, there's other things that are, you know, little changes and stuff like that. You have modifications and stuff. So um, there's, I know the areas in Southern California way more. My appetite for certain areas are more because I know them better. And so I just had to train my team over and over and over again. So they were able to spot these opportunities because uh, there's this thing of like, don't lose money. Like, there's that risk of losing money and investing, but there's also the risk of missing opportunity and you need to kind of be constantly aware of both and not, Coming on time on budget with the rehab, that is missing opportunity to get the most you can out of that, that that value of that property, right? Um, not knowing an area well enough to strike on a deal that actually could make us a lot of money, that's missing opportunity, right? Um, losing money to your contractor because we out negotiated, that's not enough training for me. So, like these are all the things that I kind of been working on more and more and more just to make sure that you know we're not you know you know losing money or we're not missing
1: opportunity. That's awesome stuff, man. And I agree, it's funny because people. They th- I, I tell everybody when you do some sort of contact sport whether it's baseball, uh, baseball, football, hockey, MMA, boxing, when a guy gets knocked out and he wakes up, the first thing he says is, what happened? It's the things they didn't see, you know, and everybody goes, well, no, no, no I, I got it now. I, you know, I, I saw some uh, Alex's YouTube stuff and it's like, no, man, like we learned all these things because we messed them up. Like that's where those processes come from. And it, it's just amazing that people just think, no, 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 nothing else can go wrong. It's like there is lists for days of like all these other things that can happen. But that's yeah. what you do is you start to build processes around them so they don't happen again. And over time, you know, it's just, you know, stuff goes on. But you, you touched on another really interesting point about, you know, I've done some flips in, uh, in the Phoenix area, Tucson area, some, a lot of other stuff, but some of those cities, they're very transient. That if you're a few blocks one way, you're in a good area, a few blocks the other way, you don't really want to be in that area. What are some things that you look for to know that you're in a good or a bad area of town? Yeah, so that that's a fantastic point
0: because I think all cities are like that in one way or another, some more than others, uh, because South LA is like that. And certain parts of, of SoCal that we do deals is also very much that way. Um, especially when areas when you're dealing with entry-level type of housing, you know, worker force force housing. Uh, it could be in rough areas. And, you know, we want to stay away from war zones, you know, areas that are super rough. But then there's also these gems, you know, um, that are there, right? Um, diamonds in the rough. So um what I look for is a read from like local people, um, or if not, I know the areas. So for example, in Phoenix, uh, when we bought that 18 unit building, I leaned on heavily my network that I have in Phoenix and or or I cultivated and developed more people out there. So I could ask people and help me bet that deal and ask people for contractor referrals and ask people what they think, you know, rents are gonna be independent of whatever the, uh, the, you know, the wholesaler that that was wholesaling us that deal was sending us the opportunity. So I think you have to do the extra work to vet certain areas, because on paper, certain deals can look really good. But if you don't actually know it or have somebody, again, that you trust highly, that knows area, give you advice on that, then you could really miss something and buy a, a bad deal or buy in a rough area and then get a lot of surprises, um, costly surprises. So um, I think uh, I say the best advice is just make sure that you're cultivating relationships um, in areas that you plan on investing in, um you know that just have alignment you know i mean like people that um fortunately with my social media it's been helpful because whenever i go to phoenix to go look at the project like i'm meeting people i'm going to local meetups like i'm sitting in the back of the room like even though i have my little you know reach or uh you know call it micro celebrity in a very specific (laughs) industry i just try to have you know self-awareness as you said earlier um i'm still in the back room like i'm just trying to learn the market and what are you up to what's working for you guys not just coming in or like, oh, I'm this big guy, or I do, you know, I bought an 18 unit building. Yeah, there's people that own 800 doors. Like, I, this is, you know, so always having that perspective and, and coming from a place of like, I'm just trying to know and understand the market because, you know, I say data points because there's so many little data points that you get. It's like, think of it like this, like the matrix, you know, right? Just, you can <laughs> see things clearer because now you have so much data that you can now. Make better informed decisions, but if you just have this one data point, this one wholesaler sending you this deal, and this one agent that you've never done a deal with, well, there are just two data points compared to having those two plus five other investors that know you, trust you, love you, that you've gone to dinner with, that you know know the area, they're going to give you their opinion. You know, independent, they're not tied to the transaction specifically at all. They want to just see you win. I mean, I would rather have all those other extra data points too.
1: That's such good info, man. I agree. We're, we're in such an amazing age of information that when you know which stuff to kind of filter out, that it's irrelevant and really focus on the stuff there, it's it's going to tell you the story. So I love that you said that. And so you also mentioned if you get something from a wholesaler, I'd love to hear a little bit about like today, I know it's probably shifts as market shift, but what is, what are some of your main st- uh, strategies for acquisitions right now?
0: Yeah. So the first one I'd say the, the one that's always been amazing for us has been MLS. Um, and I, I like to kind of have, I like to explain to people that in every major metropolitan market, I believe there's a lot of opportunities MLS. I've proven it because out of my 130, 40 deals, not at this point over the last five and a half years, I've sourced half of those from the MLS in you know LA, Southern California. And of those, a lot of them were because the agent was able to do dual agency and represent me as a buyer and represent the listing agent. I know not in every market you're allowed to do that, but regardless, there's think of it this way on mls i see that there's a lot of mispricing opportunities and what i mean by that is like say you're this agent and you're used to selling in a you know this price point you're used to selling five six seven eight hundred thousand dollar houses and then in one part of town nice part of town and then you end up getting this listing from a referral of yours that trusts you a lot that just say hey just sell this property for me in the shitty part of town at two hundred thousand dollars right it's like they're trying to sell that property ASAP. They don't even like, you think they're going to go beyond, you know, they're going to be just listing the property and marketing. I know they're going to, Hey, let's fix her up in this area, sell it. So you end up getting these opportunities. If you source MLS enough, we our goal is to make at least three offers a day on MLS because we know the areas. And then we've seen those mispricing. And then also, uh, you know, there's the saying: contacts equal contracts. And it's true because someone will probably outbid you on that deal but then guess what? That might be a wholesaler. They try to renegotiate. It doesn't work out. And then it just boomerangs back to you. It might not even go back active listing because they're going to go to the backup offer. Right? So you can get a deal that way. That's happened to me dozens and dozens of times. or here, even this, you'll make an offer and you, you present yourself properly. You make a good impression. The guy really wants you to get the deal. Somebody comes and pays a lot more all good. But then guess what? Another deal comes across this guy's table two weeks from now. And since you made a good impression, cause you to see if you're interested in a deal. I bought also probably a dozen deals that way. And then I'll add even more to that. It's a long game. You do enough deals, you, you're buying two, three, four, five, ten 10 houses a year on MLS. Guess what? In two, three years, you have dozen, two dozen people that really like Nick because Nick got me paid. And I remember Nick, I still have his number. And if the next opportunity comes up, I don't care if it's, you know, 12 months later, 14 months later, 18 months later, I've had agents call me two, three years later on a deal that I did while I was working for one of my other investment companies that I made dog shit on that called me and then <laughs> I, made, I made a killing on it because they remember me. They didn't remember the LLC that bought the you know that property you know, two, three years ago. They remember Alex Camacho got them paid and they called me and they gave me a, a, an amazing deal that I made a lot of money on and helped them make money again. So they're just like, if you have the right system and you know how to analyze your deals really well, you can get deals consistently on MLS. And I'll, I'll leave the MLS thing with this. And then there's this, like, I have this, like, scale, right? This is where you see the opportunity in MLS. This is when you make an offer. Your job as an investor, if you are going to pursue deals on MLS, MLS is to shorten that as much as you can. And you do that by being really good at analyzing deals, analyzing a lot of deals. You do that by having somebody in the boots on the ground you trust with construction to go look at that house give you a, a, an accurate estimated rehab amount. That way you can make an intelligent, informed offer quickly because speed wins deals on MLS. So that's I think a couple of things that I'd like to share on the MLS so speed that up for yourselves and get some opportunities. Also <laughs> you also have a lot of outs you know you can structure yourself with Friday you know a contingency period where you you can get out if if something's different than what you expected. so I just I'm a big fan of it. I think that's um one big thing. and then we get deals from wholesalers obviously we're getting less because they're actually getting less deals right now, but we would still buy consistently because we know our buy box and then we still get deals through, You know our relationships, and then our social media. I do get buy a couple houses here, just be, you know people sending me deals through MLS, Uh, and then we do some text messaging, Um, and then uh, yeah. So I say that's the majority of our current deal flow.
1: That's awesome, dude. You brought up a topic that I forgot I completely wanted to talk about. And by the way, anybody that's uh, I'll put a link for it in the show notes but our mutual friend, David Green actually said before your bigger podcast episode, he was like, if anybody wants to blueprint for all of our episodes of like, what's the best way to start as a real estate investor, where you would start, what you would do and how you become successful. He's like, this is the episode for it, dude. That's a huge like, recommendation there from all the stuff that they've had. So that's really cool. But yeah. you brought something up during that episode that I tell everybody deals are not found, deals are created. And it's like, oh, I think I got a deal. And then they shoot down your offer and then they come back and then the financing wants less or the inspection comes back and then the deal falls apart again. And then three weeks later, somebody else backs out. Then they call you back. And I'm like, it's this like, it's never like, hey, I want to offer you half of what your property's worth, and like, awesome, Alex. High it's never that. It's always never. never always, that. Always, it's never that. It's always sticky. I completely agree. Yeah. Every time, every time. So, and that's where I think it comes back to the mindset of like making sure you can like stay calm, cool, and collected, and just be patient for the reg- next deal. So, like, talk a little bit about that because I think the average person doesn't. understand. I literally had a guy that I was just talking to. I-, I was I was teaching a class, and he was like, I went through all these things that happened for this deal to come together, and it's like one of our best deals like the last year or two. And he's like, why would you do that if it had so many red flags in this person? And I was like, because, dude, that's what that's what it is. You know what I mean? It's like sellers are dishonest. You discover stuff. You renegotiate the deal. And they don't get that. So talk a little bit about, like, the ups and downs of how, like, deal, the, the process of how deals actually finally get closed.
0: Yeah, uh, that's a great point. I don't think I've talked about this uh, part, part uh, very much during any podcast, so I'm, I'm happy to jump in. So th- there is a process from when you make the offer to when you actually lock in and close the deal and there's so many ups and downs during that process so i i think that the first thing that comes to mind is that um first of all you need to have some type of regular process to make offers right it just can't be like oh you know i looked on zillow this one day and then you know i, I looked on redfin or his agent sent me this deal like we we are uh mining the mls every single day and then we have our email template that helps us like send um, our information so they could, you know, write up the offer. Or so, you know, uh, our agent can write up the offer if we are going to be doing that, um, writing on our behalf because many times we're having the listing agent write the offer. And then um, we fully expect to get most of our offers rejected. But I think what's important to recognize is that you're trying to get consideration and it isn't your job just to lowball everything. We try to make accurate, informed offers. We, we like to say we're like optimistic on the front end, if you know, and, and then when we have all the data and all the information we need, Then we're realistic. So we kind of take that approach. And then, um, you know, it it just like give me a counter or once you get into the counter, then you can go look at the property and then run your scope of work and then, you know, see, hey, you know what looks like we're going to spend maybe a little bit less than we expected. Or, hey, we went and drove around the neighborhood and and the actual exit comps, the ARV comps that we're analyzing, they're in inferior parts of the neighborhood. We're in a better spot or we're in a worse spot. So then, once you have all the information, then you can just you know kind of go back, go go back to you know to the agent to the wholesaler and say, hey, you know what, I've done some more due diligence, and then now I think I could you know this is my updated informed offer. So like this ebb and flow, back and forth, like you know ping pong table back and forth, and back and forth, it, it, it is is something that you have to just be ready to to do. And and right now we just made another offer earlier today, and my acquisitions manager, he's over, here, no, we we he's trying to push me to get this price. But I'm looking at the numbers I'm like now nah, you're about 10,000 off. I know that doesn't seem like a lot, but in this market, like I'd rather say no to a deal than say yes, because of the additional risks that we're encountering. So, but I told him like, Hey, because a lot of this deal-making is psychological, is it not? And when you're negotiating specifically. So um what I told him was like, Hey, um just go to bat and say, because people when you start buying property, a thousand dollars seems to be not a lot of money, but I don't know about you, but a thousand dollars is still a lot of money to me. It doesn't matter how much money I got, I think a thousand dollars is still a lot of money, right? So, if we're going to come up in price three thousand bucks, then I want them to know that, like, hey, we on good faith and we want this deal, we're coming up three thousand dollars more than really we really want to pay for this property, but we really want this deal, and so it's really in how you frame you know, your offer oftentimes too, that people could see it for really what it is like, Hey man, like this is a cash offer. Um, I know you want us to come up to 80. I, I already, I'm already spending 13,000 more. I'm making an offer 13,000 more than I wanted to, because I do see there's some value here, but I'm not going to just buy a bad deal either. This needs to make financial sense. And so a lot of it is how you present it. And so he's going to go out to present the offer because I I've witnessed a lot of investors to have money and they're just like making offers and they could be rude they could be like oh i'm i'm the guy you know and then you know they just rub people the wrong way and that could be sellers that could be wholesalers that could be agents and you think that that counterparty that's gonna help get your offer accepted or considered is gonna go to bat for you if you're a dick or if you're somebody that's <laughs> not like you know explaining stuff too because also I, I i have no problem reviewing numbers. Now we don't have to go granular, but I can say, Hey, look, I think the ARV of this property is three hundred and fifty. based on, do you have a difference in opinion, Mr. Nick? Oh, no, you don't. Okay, cool. Well, we agree on that. I think we're going to spend based on 50,000 off experience that I currently have in rehabbing property is going to cost 60,000 to rehab. I mean, and see the thing is most agents, most uh, wholesalers, most uh, property owners are not avid uh, active investors. So they don't even really know the numbers that well. And so I have no problem having my team or when I'm in acquisitions, explaining the numbers I found a lot of success with that. Cause then I'm like actually explaining why I'm offering what I'm offering. And then if they have any problem with it, they can see what it is. Now it's not my fault that you took an overpriced listing or you talk, you're talking to somebody who wants to sell the property. That's not that motivated. So they're, they're trying to list their property for something that would be stupid for me to pay. That's not my fault. I'm just telling you what it would, you know, what my offer is and why it's that. I, I don't have to have that conversation with every seller, but I don't want ever my team or I've never been afraid of explaining the numbers because, again, most of the people on the other side of that coin don't really know the numbers that well on investing as well as we do. And so they they assume that we're just lowballing or we're just trying to ask for this home run deal. Um, Just just that, you know, we'd be stupid not to take, but they'd be stupid to take. That's not the case. And and so those conversations tend to go a lot further and again, make a great impression. Like, oh, man, this person knows what he's doing. I should probably at least present this, you know, to the seller and see what he says.
1: Dude, that's such great information. I agree with that a thousand percent. That's the reality of it that people don't see. They only see the end results. So working that deal, working it day to day is awesome, man. And uh, I know we're getting a little bit tight on time here. One more thing I wanted to touch on before I let you go is you talked about ongoing support with your team and training them and especially getting a little bit more uh, rolling up your sleeves and get a little dirty with them now. What do your processes look like for onboarding and then ongoing communication daily, weekly, hourly? Like how what kind of tools, Slack, Zooms, like what do you do to really keep in touch with your team on a daily, weekly basis?
0: Yeah, so I, I have a, a, a pretty robust calendar. Um, I, I use Google Calendar. So we have uh, like four or five set meetings for the week. I tend to like my meetings to be in midday or later because I have the most energy in the morning. So that's when I'm doing, you know, my you know, the actual prospecting for like for deals or if I'm, you know, approving deals or if I'm working on the money-making, earning, producing activities in the morning time uh filming social media i mean because if i'm bombarded by all this logical stuff and then i gotta just film this creative salesy video like at 3 4 p.m it just doesn't come out as good um so then like i try to just fit all the stuff in the morning time and then we have like uh acquisitions meeting at the beginning of the week where me and all acquisitions team just huddle look at any hot opportunities look at the market do any type of training we didn't do uh we have a um weekly event planning meeting because we host these events so we need to kind of figure out the logistics, figure out like what we're going to do to promote it, figure out, you know, all these little details on that. So we do that. Um, so we have these several meetings um, you know, along the week that just keep us, it's on Zoom. Everybody kind of, you know, that, you know, some are required and then uh, others are just like, uh, some, most of them are required for the people that are affected in that department. And then I also have a, you follow traction in the kind of the EOS model. I know Absolutely. That's a very. Uh, so, if you guys haven't heard of that, it's, it's an amazing book called Traction by Gino Wickman. It, it, the, the the entrepreneur business model in there matches very well with wholesaling and real estate you know, investment. So we use that kind of model of just having that all hands on deck, all team meeting on, on Tuesday. And which um, we don't do on Monday because we found that so much work happens on Monday. We just prefer to have that on Tuesday so that we're not we're just caught up in meetings all day Monday and we don't get any work done. So we do that on Tuesday. And I try to set some marching orders for the week where everybody kind of knows what they need to do, what the priorities are, including they see what I need to do. And when they see a list of, you know, 15 things that the CEO, you know, Alex and, and the, the leader needs to do, and they see a list of like five things they have to do. It's like, what do you think that they think? Like like the boss is like busy. I am. I need to get my stuff done. And so, um, and, and and then we start with like good news and know wins from last week as well. So I can send you that structure too, and you, can, you check it out. And I also have people sometimes that want to work with us or want to let or that lend us money that could you know, pop in. that is it's open kind of to those people. And so th- I'd say that that's one big one. Just having a calendar of weekly meetings um, that enable us to kind of do what we do. We use Slack, so we are on that as far as communication tools. And then we do use WhatsApp a lot uh, because most a lot of my team is international or just not here in the states as far as a virtual team. And so we're on several groups there. And then, um, yeah, so I, I'd say those are the kind of the main systems that we use to kind of just uh, stay on on track with everything.
1: That's awesome, man. Dude, you've given? So much information in such a short amount of time, dude, that was that was really awesome. So I feel like this is one people are gonna have to replay multiple times. But, you know, before I let you go, I know you got a lot of stuff going on. We do have a lot of listeners that are on the West Coast, kind of all over the place. Talk some of the stuff you have coming up currently, some of the things you got going on in the future, your social media, your meetups, like anywhere people can find you any stuff you want to talk about that you have going on.
0: Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it, Nick. So first, I'll say uh, my Instagram is Alex Camacho TV. Uh, that's C A M A C H O. So that's one of my main platforms that I use to kind of just provide value. Um, I am also working heavily on my YouTube channel. We did this um, weekly free investor meetup slash um, you know guest uh, speaker series on, on Zoom for literally two years straight, like every Wednesday. We recently stopped it because we're going to be launching uh, the Dealmakers podcast and um, in, in the next quarter or so. So if people want to go back and watch, I mean, this is free game. I give away my free flip calculator on there. We've reviewed deals on there. We've you know interviewed people, but just a lot of free game on that. So if they want to go to my YouTube channel and kind of geek out on that, I encourage that because I think it's really good stuff there. And then um, we do host um, a regular uh, in-person meetup in Los Angeles. So check out. I mean, you just need to follow my IG for that. Um, And then we're having a a dealmaker summit, which is a paid event, but it's only like a hundred bucks. It's not to make money. It's just, we want to kind of weed out people that are maybe not taking action yet and want a little bit more high, high level. That'll be uh, January 28th in downtown Los Angeles. So if anybody's in Southern California, they want to come check it out. Uh, We have an all-star lineup. It's a Saturday. It's an all-day event. Uh, We provide food for the VIPs and then there's also going to be you know just a, a, a lot of networking because we've kind of all really been known of like creating this deal makers community where everybody is doing deals together and or supporting each other so if they want to be involved with that also the the, the private facebook group is the same as the, the deal makers so if they want to check that out it's on facebook and we provide a lot of um, you know value on that as well so they can find me at any one of those but Um, you know, I'm happy to interact with people that are getting started or already advanced or in in my markets and have some questions. I'm an open book, you know, real estate investing has helped me create the life of my dreams. And I just would like to help other people kind of do the same.
1: I love that, man. And for anybody listening, obviously in the show notes, you'll have live links to click on all this stuff for sure. And uh, I definitely highly encourage you to follow because your Instagram is awesome, dude. The stuff you do, the way you put it together, it's, it's top notch, man. Quality information, uh, eye-pleasing, entertaining, all of it, man. You check all the boxes. So thank highly you, recommend man. you guys do that because your social media game is definitely A+, plus, man. You're a social media ninja. So definitely oh, follow you. him. I'll promote all that stuff for sure. Dude, you bring your A-game to everything you do. I was really excited to have you on. I really appreciate you giving me your time today, man. I think you're an ex- inspirational guy. You're an awesome guy. You got good energy. You got good content. I think your podcast is going to be freaking a huge, massive success, man. You bring your A-game to everything you do, and this interview has no been no different. Any uh, final thoughts before we let you go today?
0: I think it's just like, hey, get around people that are doing what you want to do. Um, you know, reach out, ask for the help. You know, people that are in a position better than you are more than likely always going to want to help you because we always want to help people because we know how hard it's been to get, you know, to where we're at. Um, and I, I think, uh, you know, that's that's my last message. And I definitely plan on having you on our pa- podcast too, Nick. So thank you. It was an honor.
1: I'd be honored, man, anytime. Thank you so much for coming on this podcast today and doing such an awesome job. Alice Camacho, ladies and have a great day.